Welcome to the Independent Advisors Podcast, where we dive into the world of stocks, tradable markets, and financial planning with Jessup Wealth Management's Chief Investment Officer, Mark McEvely, and CEO, Matt Jessup. You'll hear tips, tricks, and strategies to address your financial well-being, and most importantly, conveyed in a way that everyone can understand. Here are your hosts, Mark and Matt. Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode 187 of the Independent Advisors Podcast, where Matt Jessup and I, Mark McEvely bring you everything you need to know from the past week in the world of financial markets and financial planning. So good morning, Matt. It's nice having you back after a little hiatus for a couple of weeks. It is nice. It is nice. Been traveling, work, uh, responsibilities have gotten in the way, but here I am and been looking forward to being back. Yeah, yeah. People you can, can hear you came back I'm, on a good day, too. Yeah, after people can hear po- what I'm thinking. Positive day on the market. Do you think people are going to sit there and tell me not to, not to be on the podcast so the market goes higher? We might get some of that. I can might just get see the, some of that. I can just see the uh, the inquiries coming now to Jenna yeah. on, the, on the topic. Yeah, exactly. Um, but before we begin, as always, just want to take the first few minutes to recap the performance for the month and the year of the major indexes that we track. These numbers are as of the market close on February 1st, uh, and this data is from YCharts. S&P 500 index up 1% for the month and up 7.3% for the year. The Dow Jones Industrial Average flat for the month and up 2.9% for the year. The NASDAQ Composite Index up 2% for the month and up 12.9% for the year. The uh, Russell 2000 Index up 1.6% for the month, up 11.5% for the year. And the Vanguard International All World X United States Index is up 1% for the month and 9.8% year to date. So a couple observations, Matt. Um, international uh, out to a lead over domestic stocks so far. That's number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two, um, tech stocks coming back raging to start the new year after they got hammered pretty good for the past couple of years. So definitely an interesting rotation to what we've seen in the first month of the year. Obviously, there's 11 more months where things can change, but um, this is the kind of action and rotation we want to see after a big sell-off in the markets is money flowing back into some of these more aggressive names. And, you know, an example of this is, you know, a name that was really beaten down was Facebook or Meta mm-hmm. um, the past couple of years. And they reported earnings last night. I don't know where it stands today, but the last time I looked after hours, they were up 18%. And think about that, 18% for a market cap of that size market. Yeah, one of the largest companies in the world. So we're not talking about a billion dollar company. We're not talking about a $10 million company, right? Mm-hmm. We're talking huge, huge money. And it's up how much again? It was up 18% <clears throat> the last time I looked. There you go. I mean, again, you know, you're going to see some reversion to the mean trades here in, in, in 2023. And, you know, I'm sure we're going to give several more examples of individual names throughout the podcast. So just as a reminder for our regular listeners and new listeners that when we talk about individual names that are recommendation for or against those names, such as Meta, but it goes to show you how beaten down some of these names are. Let's just face it. An 18% move is abnormal. Right. And it's still probably more than 50% off of its highs because of how beaten down it was. There's some dislocations out there. And again, I'm not saying dislocation in meta is justified or unjustified, but I'm just saying when you see moves like that, it definitely raises my eyebrows. Right. Right. Uh, Three-month treasury rate at 4.66%, the two-year treasury rate at 4.09%, and the 10-year treasury rate at 3.39%. 
Uh, big headlines, current events from the past week. Um, key inflation gauge, uh, which is PCE or the Personal Consumption Expenditures Index, uh, cooled further, uh, paving the way for potentially smaller Federal Reserve interest rate hikes later this year. Um, the PCE climbed at its slowest pace since 2021. Uh, and overall, PCE, uh, that index increased 0.1% in December, which is welcomed. That's very welcome news. And this was talked about yesterday in the press conference with the Fed about how this inflation continues to surprise to the downside. Right. Yeah. And the Fed obviously <clears throat> raised interest rates by a quarter percent uh, yesterday on February 1st. The target rate now sits between 4.5% and 4.75%, again, with many out there thinking that their terminal rate is is five percent um so we could be in for another rate hike or two but after that things seem like they're they're going to be cooling off especially if in the inflation numbers continue to come down and i said this before i'll say it one more time i think the second half of the year the big debate on wall street is let's assume that what we just said is correct and they pause for an extended period of time the debate on wall street the second half of the year will be when do they start cutting again, if they do? Mm -hmm. That'll be the big debate the second half of the year. Right, and I think everyone thinks, well, they're gonna, you know, they're gonna start cutting once we go into a recession. Um, but what if we don't? What if we don't? Maybe we just stay here for a little while. Which wouldn't be the worst thing, I don't think. <clears throat> I know I had a, a private conversation with you yesterday about Powell. You know, if he navigates a soft landing, and for plain English for our listeners, a soft landing is a term that's used when the Fed raises interest rates, doing so in a way that avoids a technical recession, right? If he's able to do this and, and avoid a technical recession, his speaking fees just went to the roof in retirement. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think, you know, the thing that people go back to is they look at uh, Paul Volcker, or Locker, whatever his name was, yeah, uh, that raised interest rates to like 15 or 20 percent that just killed, crushed consumer demand threw us into a recession, wasn't a fun time for a lot of people, but he thought that that needed to happen. So a hard landing would be maybe not that extreme, but something similar where we have a, a pretty bad recession. Soft landing is, well, maybe he threads the needle of keeping unemployment relatively low, keeping consumer demand relatively stable and having prices come down, right? Yeah, <clears throat> think about it, Mark. That's what the, the market was concerned about last fall. The market was concerned that the Fed was going to go too far with all their tough talk, cause a deeper recession, hurt consumer demand, two-thirds of our economy, consumer spending led. And all of a sudden, you know, the data is improving, inflation coming in a lot quicker, and it's painting a different picture than people were worried about in the fall. Yeah, shows how quick things can change. That's right. Um, the other big thing before we move on, Matt, I've been pounding this table for a few months now, um, but some interesting data from Ryan Dietrich at Carson Research. Um, he said a big January after a down year has bulls smiling. And uh, John is going to throw this up in our show notes and on the YouTube video right now, but this chart shows the S&P 500 um, and its performance in January being greater than 5% or more after a negative year. And this Ooh, is, I like this. This has only happened a few times, right? So 1954, 61, 67, 75, 2019, and 2023. Um, the average full year return when this happens is almost 30%, mm, which mm, is mm. pretty incredible. It's and juicy. again, small sample size, but then to back that up, 
um, as we've been talking about, the January trifecta officially was met two days ago. Um, so again, uh, the January trifecta indicator is uh, the Santa Claus rally being positive, which is the last five trading days of the previous year, first two trading days of this year. The first five days of January, we want that to be positive, which yep. it was. And then the January barometer that the full month of January is positive for the S&P 500. You got all three. And once all three of these indicators are positive, after a negative year, the full year returns, again, a little more than 27%. There's never been a down year. In a larger sample size. Still small, but a larger one. Exactly. Um, so, again, like we've been talking about, a lot of these things kind of lining up that maybe the worst of this is behind us. Again, being in a pre-election year, pre-election years tend to be pretty strong uh, over the four-year presidential cycle. So, just feels like we, we could see a, a, a rip your face rally higher and people are going to be looking backwards being like, oh man, I, I, I missed it. Yeah. And the underlying corporate earnings, we've been preaching this on the podcast for quite some time, preaching in essence, communicating that, you know, corporate underlying corporate earnings for the most part have, have held in quite good. They've been, they've been, you know, relatively strong in the face of these share prices getting nailed last year. Yeah, and obviously tonight's a big night. I think it's uh, Apple, Amazon, and there's one more. Yeah, you get some huge market cap weighted names reporting Google, tonight. Maybe. Yeah, they'll definitely, you know, definitely large. You know, with the S and P being market cap weighted, they're definitely going to be influential to the indices. Yeah, 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 and it'll be telling with uh, the American consumer too. That Absolutely. backs up the data we've been talking about. Absolutely. So. Uh, first tweet uh, article of research I had was a quote from famous economist Robert Schiller. Uh, and he said, after a stock market decline, people may perceive more risk than before, when in fact, the decline may have taken some of the risks out of the market. So I thought this was interesting. I talked about this with Nick on questions with Mark and Nick last week. Um, but just a really simple quote to summarize, I think, how the market works, because, you know, there's always risk in the market. And I gave a presentation last week that we were talking about different types of investable assets. And regardless of what you invest in, there's always going to be risk, right? market risk, business risk, interest, uh, rate, interest risk. rate risk, yep, all that stuff. But, you know, after the market falls 20, 30, 40, 50 percent, in my opinion, a lot of that risk has, has come out of the out of the market, where I think it's kind of reverse psychology with people that they think, oh my gosh, the market just went down 20%, it's gonna go down another 20%, and there's more risk now than there was six months ago, where I think it's the opposite. Yeah, I think a general rule of thumb is, a lot of investors take on too much risk when times are good, and they tend to take not enough risk in general when times are bad. I think it's a general rule of thumb. You've got those two guiding principles of fear and greed, which are the two motivators when it comes to investing. And I think you hit the nail on the head. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought that was good from Mr. Schiller. Uh, the second thing I had was a blog post from our friend JC Peretz on January, or excuse me, January 20th titled NASDAQ up three weeks in a row. Uh, so he says, what I find interesting about this is that amid all the layoffs in the tech sector, mega cap tech stocks are off to a great start in 2023. And again, these performance numbers are as of January 20th, and they're definitely a, all a lot higher right now with the market action we've seen over the past week. Mm -hmm. But as of January 20th, NVIDIA up over 20%, Meta or Facebook up 
over 15%, which is more than doubled now. Amazon up 15%, Google up 11%, PayPal 11%, Tesla 8%, uh, Apple 6%. So I just think this is a, a perfect example, and I'll throw have Jenna throw this chart up on, on the show notes and the YouTube page for people, but a perfect example of people you know, not making emotional investments, investment decisions based on news headlines, um, because I think one would expect that, oh my gosh, all these tech companies are laying off all this people, that has to mean that they're in a pretty bad spot and we should sell their stock. And it's just the exact opposite what has happened. Since these layoffs have been announced, I'm not saying they're correlated, but the stock prices have been going gangbusters this year. So I think, you know, and this might be a little extreme, in my opinion, 96, 97% of the stuff in the media is just noise and that's it. And it shouldn't be taken into account when you're making investment decisions. Yeah. The other thought that comes to mind is I think there's uh, a lot of people on Wall Street that think that for many, many years, a lot of these large large cap tech companies have had little constraint when it comes to controlling their expenditures, Mm -hmm. right? And all of a sudden you see some actual constraint, some corporate responsibility, and they want to make sure that they're being good stewards of shareholders' money and they're getting rewarded right now in the form of stock performance. Right, right. Last thing I had was a snippet from a blog post by Adam Grossman from the Humble Dollar titled Same Old. And this was a really good um, blog post, so I encourage people to go read the, the full thing. But... This, this one uh, piqued my interest, Matt. So um, he says, you may remember George Steinbrenner, the longtime owner of the New York Yankees. As a billionaire, my guess is that he spent considerable time, effort, and money developing strategies to minimize the estate tax that would ultimately apply when he passed away. But something unusual happened when that day finally came. (laughs) In the year that Steinbrenner died, 2010, Mm. a wrinkle in the law resulted in there being no federal estate tax at all. I remember that year. It was just a fluke. The result, though, was that all of the Steinbrenner family's planning was, in a sense, totally unnecessary. Yes. So I just thought that that was really interesting. Just for listeners, can you... Just briefly explain in 30 seconds what the estate tax is. Sure. So um, with current legislation, when you pass and send money to the next generation, there is an exemption that each of us get in our life. And I'll confirm the exact number when Taylor gets on. It's in the ballpark of a little bit less than $12 million. Okay. So if your estate is greater than that, the government's going to tax you 45 cents on the dollar. They want that money nine months after the passing of that individual. They don't want farmland. They don't want equity in your private business. (laughs) They don't want Apple stock. They don't want S&P 500. They want cash, okay? And so we got to plan for liquidity. These families have to plan for that liquidity aspect of that. Now, with the legislation that was being debated at Congress at that time, there was a sunset provision that was in place. And what happened was that 2010 year, the fluke, there was no estate tax for a year, okay? Now, what's gonna happen here is there's gonna be some sunsetting on the current estate tax, I believe after 2025. Now, I find it very hard to believe there's not gonna be some sort of legislation that's gonna impact that beforehand. Personal opinion, 
I'm not basing that on anything else, my personal opinion. Mm -hmm. And what makes me say that is there's a lot of wealthy people in Congress. They would be subject to the same rules that we are. And so they have a personal motivation to see that there's some changes to this estate uh, tax law. Yeah, absolutely. Fair? Yeah, very. Um, we'll get, we'll see what Taylor has to say on the topic here in a little bit. Yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting. Um, the lesson he says, it's good to plan, but it's equally important to recognize that things can and usually do change. This applies to all types of financial planning, but especially to estate planning, because the estate tax is a political football, like <laughs> I just mentioned. All right. It's likely to change multiple times during our lives. And I just, I really like this piece because I think sometimes people think that creating a financial plan is like biblical and that, okay, this is what my advisor said my plan is, and this is exactly what's going to happen. And 99% of the time, that doesn't happen. That's right. The, the laws are going to change. Your family makeup's going to change. How you need to pass money is going to change. Tax rates are going to change. We can't plan for five or 10 years down the road to you for you to get a raise or to get a new job that increases your disposable income by 30%, which yes. means your savings rate is going to increase, right? So it's more of a guideline rather than, hey, this is exactly what's going to happen. And it's good for people to have financial plans, but just being adaptable and ready for those plans to be ever changing from year to year. Absolutely. So uh, with that, I will turn it over to you. All right. I got a couple today, but they're going to be a little quicker than normal. Okay. Okay. But I think they're noteworthy. First is uh, put to call options ratio is very interesting to me, not to get too deep into the weeds, Mark, but as our firm's chief, in chief investment officer, will you just try to keep it under 60 seconds and explain what's an option, what's a put, what's a call? Mm -hmm. So an option is the, uh, the right to buy or sell a certain amount of stock at some point in the future. Uh, a put is the right to sell a stock. A call option is the right to buy a stock at a point in the future. Um, but this put call ratio that you're talking about is just the amount of puts being bought relative to the amount of calls being bought. Mm -hmm. And typically, um, you know, when you see the put call ratio spike, it's like, oh my gosh, people are scared. Right. Mm -hmm. And you're trying to transfer risk to someone else. Right. Exactly. And typically it's a pretty good contrarian indicator yes, sir. Um, that has called a lot of market bottoms or right after the put call ratio has spiked. Um, there's been pretty significant runs in the market. And that's exactly what this this graph is showing. Thank you. So Jenna, we'll put this chart up for our YouTube viewers. It's definitely going to be in our show notes. This is a Twitter post by Danny Kirsch. He's a head options trader at uh, Piper Sander. Um, and what you're going to see is it spiked where people were very concerned in December. We had a bad December. The amount of uh, put buying mark was through the roof you're going to see on this chart. So what do you think has transgressed so far here in January as things have turned around? S&P 500 is up 7%. And everyone's buying calls, which is uh, generally speaking, people are betting on more upside in the market. Just the amount of reversal in a such a short period of time is very abnormal. It is. And that's why I'm highlighting it. It's just, you know, you have a tale of two worlds in less than five weeks. Very abnormal. Yeah, absolutely. Next, the, um, the downtrend for the S&P 500 index finally broke to the upside. Now, what do I mean by this? Okay. 
So Jenna's going to put up a chart. This is from uh, Quad. This is from my data and charting system that I have on my terminal. And this chart is from January 27th at 11.28 a.m. Timestamp that sucker. And so what this means is that when the market started that downtrend mark, and you're going to see this on the chart at the beginning of last year, the market would have rally attempts throughout 2022 where it tried to break that downtrend mm -hmm. and it failed multiple times off that trend line. What finally happened here over the last couple of weeks? It finally broke through that. Now this chart's a little dated because we're doing this podcast here on February 2nd and this chart's from January 27th. It's gotten a little bit higher off of that. I'm highlighting this because there's been tons of eyes on this on Wall Street, okay? And if we look at the amount of pessimism that we saw in 2022, a lot of people are eyeing, I'm not gonna put money to work until it breaks that downtrend. Well, guess what? It broke the downtrend and then you still saw pessimism. Oh, it's a failed breakout, which could be true, mm -hmm. right? So we'll see kind of what ends up happening, but ultimately, um, it has finally broke that downtrend from a year ago. And so in case any of our viewers or listeners have heard us reference that on the podcast, I wanted to throw it out there that it finally broke that. Any other comments from you, sir? No, I think um, the only other thing I have is, yeah, number one, it broke the downtrend. Uh, number two, it's trying to break out of this, you know, what we call as investors, a inverse head and shoulders pattern, which is usually a bullish pattern after a big sell off. Um, where you have you know the head sticking up and the two sh shoulders that are lower, and as you can see, if you're you're watching this right now with Jenna throwing this up on on the YouTube video, you know it's kind of an inverse head and shoulders pattern that we're breaking out of. Um, the other thing to note is that the last time that we tested this trend line was in December, and we didn't break through it, so market sold off a little bit. But unlike all the past attempts to break through this trend line we didn't go on to make a new low, which is really important. So Very we, important. Made, we made a higher low before again, reattempting this breakout on this downtrend and, and it was successful for the time being right now. There were times, I think in 01 and possibly in 07, 08, where a downtrend was broken and it was kind of just a rug pull and people got faked out. Yep. So that possibility is out there, but for at least right now, I think, the market action and the price action favors the bulls. Yep, would love to see, you know, over the next six to nine months as some, you know, kind of two step forward, one step back motion, some kind of higher highs, higher lows, be very healthy. And just to be clear, I don't want to see what happened in 2020. I don't want to see the market up 100% in a really short period of time, right? We want this to be a sustainable move and just get back to, you know, normal volatility, Pull, you know, five to 10% pullbacks in one year. Um, but I don't want to see the market go parabolic because we're going to have a whole issue pretty soon thereafter. I agree. That's so, very well put. Yeah. So my last one, and I'm going to need some assistance with the pronunciation of the gentleman's last name. Let's see if you can, can take a stab at it better than me. It's a, it's a tweet uh, about new lows. Can you help me with his last name, please? Matt Sermonero. Sermonero. I'm going to so, go with that. And I know what Jenna will most think? likely tag him. And so if he listens to the podcast, he might. What uh, was your guess? <laughs> I'm not. I don't want to. I don't, I, I don't want to make Matt mad. Got it. Okay. So he works at Funstrat and he had a post 
Um, and this was really interesting to me, Mark. Okay, so this might be a little bit more lengthy, but we'll see. So his post said, and Jenna will put this up for YouTube and it'll be in our show notes, markets up 14.6 higher 97% of the time with this signal. Well, what's the signal? It's when stocks on the NICE making new lows falls below five. So let's take a step back. Heads up, there's over, there's about 2,000 stocks on the NYSE. Okay. New York Stock Exchange. New York Stock Exchange. When the seven-day average of the NICE new lows is under five, so that's only 0.2% of all stocks on the NICE making new lows each day past seven days. It's virtually none. This chart is going to put red dots going back, and it's going to show on the S&P when that's occurred in the past. Okay. So again, what you had on this date when this was posted on, on January 20th is an abnormally low amount of stocks making new lows. Mm -hmm. And this is bullish to me because it talks about market breath. Will you take a couple seconds and explain market breath? It's just the, you know, looking at the stock market or an exchange as a whole and, and say, okay, what is the majority of stocks doing? Are we making new highs? Are we making new lows? And, you know, popular metrics are new 52-week highs, which is a year and new 52-week lows. Um, and again, when the amount of new highs are exceeding the amount of new lows, especially at this rate, generally a good indicator that a lot of the stocks are participating in this move. And it's not just a handful that, you know, are, are large part of the major index like the S&P 500. Um, so it's just kind of a, a metric of market health, in my opinion. And this is this is obviously very much welcomed. Yeah. And the chart he has in the S&P here, Mark, goes back to 1970. And again, you kind of peg these uh, these red dots you know, the, the, the following, let's say, upwards of one to two years doesn't look too shabby in a lot of these red dots. So again, you, know, you just start adding this anecdotal data of history. Um, when, I saw, when I saw this and the amount of new lows was sub five for the NICE, I definitely got a big old smile on my face. Yeah, that's, that's very positive, very positive. So that's all I have for this week. Before I invite uh, a Taylor onto the podcast, Mark, is there anything you'd like to uh, finalize with our uh, viewers and listeners? No, I don't think so. Uh, market's opening up uh, slightly lower this morning. Uh, an update for those uh, Meta fans. Uh, it is up 19.59% right now. Can you pull up just the market cap for me real quick? Yes, the market cap is almost 487 billion that's not normal no and it was the same thing we saw with remember amazon when amazon was down like 20 percent after hours earlier that. this summer it I was like that. geez that's also abnormal yeah very abnormal but no um looking forward to seeing the earnings reports tonight but all in all off to a start in 2023 that i think most people should be happy with okay thank you mark yeah so next up on the podcast is our uh, financial planning topic of the week. And uh, handling that section of the podcast this week is Taylor Ledbetter. Um, she's a wealth advisor with our firm, and she's also our pair planner. She handles a lot of our financial planning calculations. Uh, Taylor, welcome. 
Good to be back. So what do you have in store for us this week? Yeah, so today I'm going to be talking about social security and how the system works. All right, this should be good. I'll probably learn a couple of things on this. All yeah, right. because I'm sure you've gotten this a lot too, just concern about the social security system collapsing. I'm not going to get my be benefits. Yeah, yeah, so that's just what I want to talk about today is how all of that really works. I love this, and it's going to be one of those episodes where I'm going to be like, hey, go back and listen to Podcast 187. Taylor talked about your concern, so this mm -hmm. is going to be great. Yeah, so you pay into Social Security mm -hmm. during your working years, and those withholdings go into a Social Security trust fund. Yep. So how the system works is it's a pay-as-you-go program. So your benefits that are being withheld today are also being paid out for people taking benefits today. Sure. So since the mid-1980s, Social Security actually collected more in payroll taxes than it was paying out in benefits. Since the mid-80s. Yes. Yes. So this surplus amount was invested in interest-bearing treasury securities. Okay on average earning about 2.4% a year. Okay. Now, eventually these excess reserves reached a total of $2.9 trillion. Okay. In 2021, Social Security had to start tapping into these excess reserves to pay out the benefits. And that began in 2021, got Correct. it. Correct. So, if these excess reserves hypothetically were to be completely depleted, mm -hmm. benefits still would not stop. Because um, if we ever get to that point, up to 80% of benefits could still be paid out. But as people pay into Social Security, like I said, you know, people are using those benefits right now. So another way I would say it in my own words is, we have enough to cover if we had no reserve 80 cents on the dollar. About, mm -hmm. okay. exactly. Right. Okay. So a couple reasons that I think we're running into the problem of tapping into those excess reserves mm -hmm. is that Americans are living a lot longer nowadays. Yes. So benefits have to last a lot longer. Yes. Um, and also birth rates have fallen significantly. Yep. So the worker to beneficiary ratio has dropped from 16.5 in 1950 to 2.8 in 2021. So in essence, in 1950, for every 16 and a half people paying in, only one was taking the benefit. You go right. to 2021, for every 2.8 people paying into it, you had one taking the benefit. Exactly. That's a huge, huge difference. difference. Yeah. And by 2035, that figure is expected to hit about 2.3. Yeah. And, you know, obviously, if, if someone's getting, say, their max benefit at age 70, you know, mm -hmm. someone's not paying in enough to offset that. Exactly, right? exactly. Yeah. On a one-to-one -one ratio, yeah. Yeah, so <clears throat> there are a couple solutions that could help the system okay. from tapping in, depleting those excess reserves. Um, and one solution is raising the Social Security wage base. Okay. So... In 2023, the Social Security wage base is 160200 This means that any earnings that exceed that number are not subject to that Social Security payroll tax. 
Correct. Now, Congress could increase the wage base, and that would just bring in more tax and limit tapping into those excess reserves. If I had to speculate, I think that is likely personal opinion for full disclosure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and these are just you know some different ideas of what sure, could that happen, are floating but around that's, out there. that's one of them. It's been talked about. Sure. Um, another option is that Congress could raise the Social Security payroll tax rate. Yeah. Um, so right now it's at about 12.4%. Correct. Between employees and employers. Correct. Um, so they could raise that from 12.4 to 15.6 is the speculation. Okay. Also probable in my opinion at mm -hmm. some point. And then um, another solution is that they could raise the full retirement age from age 66, 67 to age 70. That would make a huge impact as well. That would make a huge impact. And so what that means in kind of my world is, you know, a lot of, um, you know, pre-retirees are thinking, hey, I get my full retirement at 67. I'm going to wait until that age but there's a chance they could push that all the way back to age 70 with people living longer. Mm -hmm. Meaning if you take it at 67, you're gonna be getting a haircut or a discount. Exactly. You know, the other thing that kind of comes to mind with another thing Social Security might start messing with down the road, and I think it's gonna hit the potential younger generation, is some sort of needs-based calculation. Mm -hmm. Kind of how they do calculations for your uh, Medicare premiums based upon your income. Mm -hmm. They might eventually say, well, listen, if you're retired and your income is over, and I'm going to throw an arbitrary amount out there, Taylor, if it's over 150000 we're going to haircut your Social Security by 20%, 30%, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that that is a possibility for younger workers as well. Just my personal opinion. No, that could be very probable. Yeah, I think mm -hmm. that's another option that they could do some sort of needs-based analysis. Mm -hmm. You make over this amount, 150, 200, it's gonna be a larger amount. Yeah. We're gonna haircut your social security. Yeah, and that would have a, a huge impact too and really help the system out. Yeah. Tapping into those excess reserves. Yeah, I could see that happening. Mm -hmm. But it was just really interesting as I was going through this, I was like, you know, there's really... But it's not going to go away. Yeah. I don't think it would be go away. It'd be really hard for the system to completely collapse. I don't see that. Which I think is a lot of people's concern with the system. Very well put, Taylor. I heard someone speak recently and the words out of their mouth was something along the lines of this. One of the strongest and most consistent uh, voting classes in America are members of AARP which obviously have a vested interest in the security of Social Security. Mm -hmm. And so meaning, you know, politicians aren't going to get rid of Social Security when they want to get, he or she wants to get reelected. Mm -hmm. Right? Exactly. Makes sense. Makes sense. Right? Yeah, it does. Yeah, so I think the, the key takeaway from all of this is the system's not going to collapse, but it's possible there could be a reduction in benefits years down the line. Agreed. I don't think it would happen. Agreed. Soon. Agreed. At all. Good. Anything else you want to add to that? Um, no, I think that's it. Any thoughts? Not to put you on the hot seat. Any thoughts when uh, Mark and I were talking about estate planning? Anything come to mind? Um, well, yeah. So the lifetime exemption amount for 2023 is 12.92. 12.92. 12 yeah, and 2022 okay. is like 12. 
06. Okay. Something about I'm still that. on I'm still on 2022 mm -hmm. figures. So twelve point yeah. nine for this year. Got it. Thank yes. you for clarifying that. Yeah. So Good. that's how much you can, you know, transfer without having to pay any estate tax on that. To so that next really, generation. Yeah, it really affects people with high net worth. Got it. And I know in the past, I don't I don't memorize which one, but I know there's been podcasts in the past where you've talked about the estate planning tax. I know you've talked about it in the past. Yeah. I forget I, when. Yeah. I don't know if I've dove in it, dove into it too deeply, but okay. I'm sure I've talked a little bit about it on the surface. Well, I got you a, uh, a potential topic yeah. for sometime later in this year. Yeah. That's a great idea. All right. So we'll sign off. Um, Taylor and I, as well as Mark, thank you for listening to episode number 187 of the Independent Advisors podcast. We hope everyone has a great rest of your week and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Independent Advisors podcast. If you're interested in hearing more, hit the subscribe button so you can be notified every time a new episode gets released. Feel free to share with friends, family, and follow us on Twitter at Jessup Wealth, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Mark and Matt will continue to share beneficial information on these social media sites. Also, check out the podcast tab on their website. That's www.jessupwealthmanagement.com. There you'll find links to every episode of the Independent Advisors. Have questions or topics you want to discuss on the show? Message us on Twitter, LinkedIn, or send an email with the words questions and topics in the subject line to inquiries at jessupwealthmanagement.com. We'll talk about it right here on the podcast. Certain sections of this commentary may contain forward-looking statements based on reasonable expectations, estimates, projections, and assumptions. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of future performance and involve certain risks and uncertainties, which are difficult to predict. All indices are unmanaged and are not available for direct investment by the public. Past performance is not indicative of future results. This podcast is provided for general informational purposes only and does not constitute either tax, legal, or financial advice. Although we do go to great lengths to make sure our information is accurate and useful, we recommend you consult a tax preparer, professional tax advisor, financial advisor, or lawyer regarding your specific circumstances. Investing involves risk, including the loss of principal. No strategy can guarantee any objective or goal will be achieved. Advisory services offered through Commonwealth Financial Network, a registered investment advisor.